Well, my name is Danny Carruthers, a longtime citizen of Bowling Green, Kentucky. I work at the Housing Authority of Bowling Green at the moment. I'm a uh, coordinator for the senior citizens and the disability uh, folks. I've been doing that for maybe six months now. I, I serve the youth. I love our community for one. So uh, on the west side or any parts of Bowling Green, I try to have a ministry of helping kids that might need some kind of my help. I started out in sports. I got involved in football at Bowling Green High School, uh, played basketball at Bowling Green High School. And, and, and I try to teach the kids now about how sports can make a difference in your life. And I went to Kentucky State University for two years up in Frankfurt, played up there, and then and came back home. And then, as you know, sports can put you in a lot of lives. And I've been blessed to take my sports knowledge and wiggle into some personal uh, problems of our youth in the city. Uh, got about 30 years of it in right now. It's just been fun. And you know, the Bible talks about how you might stray away but come back. So that happened to me at a certain time in my life. And, uh, I never forget it. I got in a little mess with the law, and I told told the judge, "If you just give me one more time, I, I had never been in trouble before." But I said, "If you just give me a chance, I, I'll just serve my community to the day I die." So, and it's worked out. So, I was 24. I'm 61 right now. So, I'm I'm, I'm doing good. I just I just keep praying that God keeps me <laughs> steadfast and unmovable. I started Boys to Men at Parker Bennett Elementary School. And uh, man, I was getting older. I am, I'm, I'm older. And the kid, Terrion Clark, came through, and I'm like, God, I can't do all this. And he does. Didn't have the strength, you know, because I was trying to keep up with the football players, the basketball programs, trying to make sure kids got to play, trying to make sure parents were treating the kids right, take some of the pressure off of them of everyday struggles in life. And, then we started this boys to men and seeing where this was needed. So I just met with Terry on and said, hey, and he has so much strength and it, it, it's moved on to greater heights. Um, and then we got the flag football that had, Warren County had dropped because you know, they went to different kind of football. So, um, man, um, boys to men is a great tool in our city. I mean, the, the first annual breakfast we had out here, I mean, who lets you do? Only Broadway. Place opened their heart. Not only their doors, that's easy, but their hearts was open. And that was a big kickoff for our boys to me. And, uh, but on the question you asked me about Megan's Mobile, and Megan's Mobile helps so many people. I mean, I don't know if people really understand. I, I was the first driver, so I know. I know the conversations I had uh, with people. I know the prayers that I had with people. I know the hugs I had with people, the phone calls, strangers. But I'm one of those who don't mind sharing my phone because if I don't want to talk, I'm not going to talk. But when they will call just the fellowship we had with strangers and people that still remember me. And I miss Megan's more. I miss it so much. And just seeing them on a weekly basis. And, and then they loving me and I'm loving them. Wow, that that's missed. That's missed, really, really, really missed. Man, he's been so good and kind. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, you know, younger you went to church every Sunday, three times a day, you know, from Baptist church. Uh, 
and you just you just seen the love of Jesus back then. Like I said, I'm 61, so I was blessed to come up in that time where, you know, the word was, nothing was taken away from the word. And, uh, man, just going as much as we went, seeing people that love Jesus. And then as I got older, like I said, I strayed away. And now that I'm getting older, the love of Jesus is just what they said it would be. I just backed up off of it a little bit, but man, it's, it hadn't changed. We had older people that just taught you the love of Jesus. And you know what? They, they weren't the most educated people, but they knew what Jesus would do. They, they'd experienced it, and we had. And as I look back to the ones that's gone on the glory, I'm like, you know, same thing she told me is what I'm getting. That God would never leave us or forsaken. And, it's just funny because they was old and they like, we'll listen because they was not mean, but they had, they was in charge. <laughs> they was in charge for real. So we had to listen and it's just like, and I look back today as I get older, my God is amazing. And they told me he was. And I can see it for myself. Let's thank, let's thank Danny for telling his story. We've been doing that in this series, trying to give a face to the things that we talk about and a way of seeing it play out in someone's life. I didn't know whether we would use Danny's story at the beginning or at the end, and I'm really glad we were able to save it for this moment because it sort of ties it all up. We all have elements in our own story that are like his, uh, some, some foundation or initial encounter with the truth of God's love for us and who we really are and how to live into that, and then some way that we steer away from that and get pulled back into it. And then the way it unfolds over a lifetime. Uh, this is the life that is truly life, or the language in our vision statement as a church, that we would be a life-giving community of growth where people become more fully alive, or where people come fully alive. It's, of course, the hope that we have for every one of us. And we all have different ways of coming into that uh, or going after it, I think, maybe is a better way of saying. We have an angle on this thing that we're all looking for. So I thought it might be a fun and maybe a playful way to get into it today. We're going to have a little game. Uh, I'm going to put this on the screen, and you're going to find out if you are chill or if you are thrill. Uh, and, uh, again, two kind of big categories of coming at this and maybe two extremes. Uh, and um, the pictures are on the screen are all dogs, by the way. But this is a test for people. So you can kind of keep score, kind of figure, figure, figure out where you are, whether you are chill versus thrill. Are you kind of the person that plays it safe or the person who's always up for an adventure? Let's see the people who would rather play it safe, the people who are kind of more adventurous. Okay, it turns out we're about half and half. That's interesting. Okay, next one. Are you tried and true, kind of steady on, or are you more up for unusual experiences? Tried and true, unusual experiences. All right, love the dogs. Here we go. Look before you leap or spontaneous. What is, that is one muddy dog, right? Okay, look before you leap. Spontaneous. I love it when I see a couple, one person, one raises one and the other raises the other. There's a whole marriage counseling session that could happen. And then uh, do nothing for hours on end. I love this dog, bored easily. Gotta go. Do nothing for hours on end, bored easily. Okay. So you do a little self-assessment here. Are you more chill or are you more thrill? And part of why I want to show that is because when we use language like come more fully alive, 
it sounds uh, a, you know, a little bit out there. It sounds maybe a little more on the thrill end, if, I, if I'm honest. And those of us who are more chill kind of don't understand you thrill people. We don't understand why you like to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. We don't like, we don't know why you go on roller coasters and it feels like you're going to throw up and you think that's fun. We don't know why you have these unusual experiences. And my guess is for you, you thrill people, it's the same thing with the chill people. Maybe the thrill folks don't understand why chill folks stay at home and balance their checkbook and do overly responsible things and climb the, the ladder of success or fill in the blank. But the point is our language around coming more fully alive is not about personality. In fact, it's not even about circumstances in life. It is not a, a, a circumstantial, cir circumstantial thing. We're talking about something that we're all going after. And one sort of insight, I think, is whether you're more thrill or whether you're more chill or however you, you sort of define it, that those are all angles to get to the same thing, that what we're looking for is life and life to the full. And there, there's not a single person who isn't looking for that in some way. And there's not a single one of us that doesn't go after it. And there's not a single one of us that doesn't go in wrong directions and have to find that, or, that there is an, a better one. Or may, maybe said another way, that there are lesser forms of this. And then there is, there is something more full. There is a life that is truly life. And that is the thing that we're all going after. That's not a personality thing, it's a human thing, and it's why our statement, our mission statement speaks to it, that we would be a place where come, people become more fully alive. And this is a way to understand the Gospel of John. Uh, our scripture reading today comes from the end of the Gospel, but we're going to go kind of through, through a couple places where we find this theme coming up again and again. In fact, the word life is used 40 times in 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And that life is a particular kind of life that John wants to help us see. Now, you can look at the, the gospel writers. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And John is so different than the others. We've recognized that from the earliest days. Uh, each one sort of giving us an angle on Jesus. And John's angle is, is specific. It comes around this very word, that we would find life in him. It's important to know that there are two kinds of life, two words for life in Greek. And one of those is where we get our word biology. So bios life is the kind of life that we get when we're born. It is the breathing in and breathing out life. It is your heart beats in your chest kind of life. And of course that life is important. But then there is a whole other word for a different kind of life, the kind of quality of life that we have from God. And that word is zoe. And it's the word that John uses a lot. He's talking about a quality of life. And that word, zoe, uh, in, in John is translated a lot of different ways. It's sometimes translated eternal life. And what's important to understand there is that we're talking about the life of eternity, the quality of life that God has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that completeness, that fullness, that wholeness that God has in God's self. That's the thing being offered. So sometimes when we say eternal life, what we mean is quantity, right? You die and you live forever, and that's, that's a good thing, right? Uh, but we also mean quality, 
It's not just any life. I remember my Sunday school teacher when I was young saying, imagine doing the thing that you like the most in life, but doing it forever. Don't you think it would get old? But in, in, in God's economy, we don't have to choose between quantity and quality. There's both. And that's what John wants us to hear. And so we hear in the opening words of John's gospel, the introduction of Jesus, these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This is speaking of Jesus, the one who holds all things together. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. Well, now we know what kind of life we're talking about. We're not just talking about biology here. We're talking about something full, the fullness of life that God alone would have, except now God has offered it to us in coming through Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of everybody. It is life to the full. Jesus had in himself the thing that we all want, thrill or chill aside. And John starts the gospel there, then he ends it there. In John 20, where we got to today, it is now three days after Jesus has been executed. It is Easter Sunday after the initial encounter at the, the tomb, and there's a report that Jesus was alive. But they're not so sure. These disciples who followed Jesus around are not certain. And we know that because we find them where? Hiding. Locked in a room out of fear. This is not abundant life. This is not becoming fully alive. And Jesus appears to them suddenly behind those locked doors. Now, the gospel doesn't say, it could be that he just knocked on the door and they let him in, but we get the impression that something more miraculous happened. Jesus is present, and that's, that presence is important. And he says, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you is sort of the ordinary greeting that you would say to anybody. So in one way, you might just think of Jesus showing up and going, hey guys, what's up? And everybody looks at him like uh, even more uncertain. There's, it doesn't break out into joyful cheers yet because they are now completely freaked out, as you should be in this setting. Yet, not yet life to the full. And Jesus shows them his, the scars on his hands, on his side, as you would in court to prove that he was, had been through what he had been through, that he was who he says he was, and that he was, in fact, alive. And it's then uh, that John says that the party sort of erupted. Everybody went nuts, realizing that this was Jesus. And then Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. And then Jesus does something that we would consider, not knowing the context, would think very strange. He says, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. Doing that uh, generally in public, COVID or not, sort of frowned upon, right? That's an awkward thing to do, except that the disciples would have understood, and I think that people hearing the first, uh, the, the first reading of John's gospel uh, would have understood what was going on there. It would go back all the way to Genesis 2, when we were formed out of the dust, and then what happens? God gets down, bends down, and breathes into that dust, breathes into us the breath of life. And as we read Genesis 2, we think biology, right? We think of bios life, like there's air now in our lungs and that we are alive, and that is it's kind of a big deal, and it is. Jesus now is making the tie to who he is and what he's doing as he has come down 
and breathed on them. Only this time we're not talking about just biology, are we? We're talking about life and life to the full. We're talking about the kind of life that only God has. It is the kind of life that is the fullest life possible, not just quantity, but also quality. It is God's own life that he shares with us. And that's the, the entire point of the incarnation, Jesus coming down to breathe God's life into us. Now, uh, if you want to know what fullness of life, abundant life, the fullest life possible, what that looks like, then the most obvious answer is to look at Jesus. Somebody before 8.15 this morning said, what's the sermon about today? And I said, um, Jesus. <laughs> right? And that does seem like the obvious, the obvious answer. But when we look at Jesus, isn't that in fact what we see? We see the fullness of life that is not about circumstances. It is, it is about a quality of life that is as if Jesus understands that when he breathes in sort of biologically, that he's also breathing in spiritually. Like Jesus connected the two in every moment. And as he breathed out, he not only breathed so that he could expel carbon dioxide. See, I paid attention to science class. But he also is breathing out the goodness of God in, in the way he lived his life. His life was saturated with love, even though there was a lot of hate around him. His life was charged with joy, even though he was constantly being questioned about his identity and his intentions. He lived with peace, even though he was always also in the shadow of the cross. He, his life was marked by freedom. And it was the freedom never to have to make a concession. When we think about the kind of life that Jesus has, and the kind of life that we don't, this is where I think it happens. That Jesus never in any moment had to make a concession and say, this is the real world, so I'll just fill in the blank. He never had to sort of give in to that. He never had to settle. He somehow knew who he was, and out of that lived in every breath, in every action, in that fullness. The key is then, he's now said, this is now for you. This is yours. This is what I'm giving to you. A, mar a life marked by that kind of freedom. How does that happen? How does God breathe his life into us? Well, I want to go, as we kind of come to the end, I want to come to another scripture that talks about this same thing. In fact, it's probably one of the best known of all of the scriptures, and maybe, maybe the least fully understood but you all have some clues because we've been talking about these words, uh, especially the word life. Nicodemus in John 3 is a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night trying to understand him. And Jesus explains to him, very truly I tell you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Well, we know Jesus is not talking about biology life, but Nicodemus apparently doesn't. So he says to Jesus, because he, he misunderstands the word, and says, well, how can somebody go back into their mother's womb and then be born again? And we all sort of smack our heads and say, God, you're missing the point. And that's, in fact, what Jesus says to him. Like, how are you a teacher of this stuff, and you don't get it? Like, somehow you have settled for a different kind of life. And 
then John 3, 15 and 16 use these words. Jesus says that I've come that everyone who believes would have eternal life. Well, we know what that word means. It's not just quantity, but it's also quality. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have the fullest life possible. In both verses, John also uses the word believe, which in John's gospel always has more to do with trust than some kind of intellectual assent. It's not believing things about Jesus. It's living in complete trust of Jesus so that we could have life and the fullest life possible, the life of eternity now. And here's my, my thought. Well, Jesus basically tells the disciples and Nicodemus the same thing. He's offering them, and I think us, the same gift. And the disciples and Nicodemus have something in common. They have sort of found a way to have an adequate life. The disciples, maybe a little more thrill, on the thrill side, have followed Jesus and have taken risks, and it has not well, it doesn't appear to have gone so well. They were fully in, and now the bottom has dropped out. But then you have Nicodemus, who's a little more on the chill side, who just quietly has created a life for himself, a religious life for himself, in which he has done pretty well for himself. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it's not either of those things. And, you know, sometimes we use that phrase born again to refer specifically to people who need to convert and believe in Jesus for the first time. And I think that's absolutely true. But it's also about trusting in Jesus every time. It's not just a justification thing, not just a conversion thing, but also a sanctification thing. Learning to live in complete trust of Jesus through everything. And isn't it funny how you think you get that figured out and then something happens and it calls it all into question again. That trust thing is not as easy as it sounds. And so what we often do is we just settle for a thrill or a chill. Some of us hear the same words, we need to be born again. It's as if life starts over again in the fullest way possible. And some of us have chosen a thrill that we hope that will give us life. And um, it probably, well, it definitely, it hasn't. And that's the way that works. And uh, Martha mentioned something of that as we were in worship this morning, and I think that's really important to talk about. There, there are way, we've chased thrills that don't, well, that, that lasts about 60 seconds, by the way. And what the church does is create a, a place, context, where we can call each other into a fuller life. I don't think that's in this room, uh, to, you know, necessarily as we confess our sins to each other. I do think it is one-on-one -on -one as we talk about those things and wrestle with things that we struggle with and hold each other and watch over one another in love, as the Methodists have always said, so that we can call each other to a fuller life. It's not shame and blame. It is the fullness of life that God wants for us. And we must find places where we call each other into that. We must find those contexts. We must take the risk to do it. And, uh, and the chill thing is, is, is just as real. Some of us will get into this thing and find an adequate religious life that seems good enough. And like Nicodemus, we need to say, no, that's, we need to hear that's not it either. That we're going to be called to something fuller, more complete. This morning we gave Bibles to our children so that they would know their defining story. So that as they, as they read those scriptures, 
what they, they would find, and this is the power of Scripture that we do encounter, the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, the one who was there in the very beginning, the one who has life in him, and in him uh, becomes then the light of the world through him. And so uh, we come to the Scripture the same way, for that constant reminder of our true defining story and uh, to hold our lives up again and again to the life that is truly life and then to be able to let all of that the rest go as we receive the fullness that God wants for us. So we're going to pray this morning uh, and we're going to prepare to take up our offering and as we pray I invite you just to kind of sit with your hands opened ready to receive As we think about the kind of life that Jesus is offering, the fullness of life that God wants for every one of his children, every single one of us will realize that we have found another way to get at that. Maybe more thrill, maybe more chill, but equally inadequate. And our hands are open today as a symbol of our willingness to receive something else. And it is a gift. It's not something that we figure out on our own. It's something that God does for us and in us and through us. It's something that God does in community as we live this out together. It is the very spirit of God moving in people, healing and restoring, taking away things that are lesser and giving us something better, helping us become more fully alive. It is as if God in the very creation moment has bent down to us and breathed into us so that we now have a spiritual respiration. And so as we receive this morning this gift of grace, we pray that that would apply in every aspect of our lives. And each one of us has some area where we need to renew our trust an area where we have have not found the ability or the desire to let God have us and lead us, where we have questions and doubts. For each of this, us this morning, I pray, pray over us the words of the old hymn, Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love as you have loved and do as you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, fulfill my heart's desire, until this earthly part of me glows with your heavenly fire. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life of your eternity. God, we thank you for that gift and that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give in the offering and let's continue to worship.